on paper, and then this is like a very low estimate, before uh, in 2008 when mushrooms became illegal and truffles were being sold, the Netherlands was sending more than 500,000 portions of mushrooms every year in a city, right? So that's ultimately shitty set and setting. So that we're talking about a hundred and one and a half million doses sold. There were like 23 cases of people ending up in hospital, one death. So we have those numbers. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak, they talk to you, they will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human? One that honors the divinity within you and all life? Then Sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for. Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit P-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y dot org to become a member and find more information. Jasper, welcome to Psilocybin Says. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah, for inviting me. Tell our audience a little bit about who you are. Wow. A little bit. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you probably heard by the pronunciation of my last name, I'm from the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, you can buy psilocybin containing truffles these days legally. And um, that's um, yeah, where I started. Like, I guess I just had a very regular upbringing. I was very depressed in my teenage years. It's very solitude, like played a lot of video games. And then when I turned 18, my friend just gave me some of these truffles. And I was like, wow, I was very curious. And I was very open-minded to all the things. And I only had a little bit, but I had like the best day ever and like I felt happy and like content and felt love for life for the first time and I was like this is some some good stuff and then I actually got really sick and uh like kind of like separated from that friend group because of their toxic behavior in many ways and I found a new friend group and they never tried truffles and I was like oh let's let's just buy some in the store and like go do truffles in the park and like have a good time and go into supermarkets and look at all the crazy colors and uh, definitely did not understand set and setting. Definitely did not understand um, like the the healing properties of it. But like just from recreational use and having fun in like an environment that we didn't feel like we were doing something bad. You know, it's just something you buy in a store. Like I remember very vividly my friend for the first time in a supermarket, just like laughing on the floor, looking at I think it was dishwashing soap or something, <laughs> and this lady just walked by. It's like. All right and like i was just like yeah yeah we just had some uh some truffles and she's like okay and went on with her day you know and that's <laughs> the kind of i want everybody to have and um my truffles were quite expensive they're like 15 bucks for like a journey and um i i heard from a friend that you can get these grow kits and for 40 bucks you can get a lot of mushrooms and uh i was actually very lucky i got about the biggest one and i got like three flushes and i think I got something in like 200, 300 dried grams that I grew under my bed in my parents' house because I, I still didn't feel like, oh, yeah, I want my parents to know I'm taking all these magic mushrooms all the time. But like just seeing that process was so fascinating to me. And I kind of 
like went away from that a little bit. I found some other psychedelics and substances and I was just experimenting, but like, like the mushrooms definitely came more on my path. And when I got a really big download, uh, when I was 20 to quit my sales manager position where I was making a lot of money and drinking a lot of alcohol and taking a lot of MDMA and going to a lot of parties, I went to travel the world and I ended up in Southeast Asia and I, 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 I was in Thailand and I saw like this mushroom growing from what was told me it was elephant dung. And I was like, I know this mushroom, dudes. I know this mushroom. And it was a uh, philosophy advances. And then I just spent like my time in Asia foraging because they grow all year round of water buffalo dung, of uh, elephant dung, uh, basically all, all the four-legged uh, like, uh, uh, not carnivores, but like herbivore uh, mammals that live around there. And um, same for Australia, but like I was traveling, so I couldn't get deeper into this cultivation aspect, but I was fascinated. So I had a lot of time, so I read a lot of books and I was just waiting for that time to actually get that knowledge into practice. And then in um, Oaxaca, Mexico, several years later, uh, I traveled the world for like five, six years. I heard about the Fungi Academy, which already was in existence before I, uh, I joined. And uh, that was, I wanted to be at Lake Atitlan because somebody I met on my travels was like, you gotta go here, it's a really good community. And um, so I ended up in from like uh, San Mateo, which is next to, um, oh my God, Ranked on the, the, the most famous uh, name of the Oaxaca Mountains. But San Mateo is one of those towns where the Mazatec people are residing and you find a lot of Salaspi Cyanessence during the rainy season. So a mushroom hub, I found about this other mushroom hub of Fungi Academy. And I, I arrived, I sent an email and I arrived and I got locked out of my bank account and my PayPal because, okay. All, again, like the mushrooms have been this like thread because I, ha I smuggled this chocolate from the United States into and um, I was in Mexico couch surfing with these two girls and they had like the tiny pet pig and they told me not to put any food on the ground or in a bag or something <laughs> I, I forgot about this mushroom chocolate that was right next to my bank card and like this I, I, we were having dinner and this, I just heard this noise coming from the room I was staying in and I was like everything connected and I was like shit so this pig was just like mauling on this little bag that I had and I was like oh, oh no no way. And I, I got the pig away. It didn't get to the mushroom chocolate because the bag was, I guess, tough enough. So it was just smushed, but it broke my bank card with the chip right in half. <laughs> and like, I just had to get to a friend's place in Mazunte, Mexico, which is also in Oaxaca, and like to PayPal her some money. So I had some cash. But then I got to Guatemala and I got locked out of everything. And then I was like forced to stay at Fungi Academy. And it was, um, Right after some of the founder mentors actually just left, uh, Sylvan and Tenel just left a couple of weeks before and the project was going through a, quite a tough time and I, I got this really big download again. I was like, I, I think I need to be here for a while and I just spend a lot of time on the mountain, like 60 hours a week, just getting more into the aspects of mushroom cultivation that I was not super familiar with, like working in sterile environments. And I, I had the toughest learning conditions because... Um, there was this lab, uh, the lab that was under the ground and it was rainy season. So water was seeping in and mold was everywhere. Everything was contaminated consistently, but I managed to have some success. And um, I, a lot of people came to Fungi Academy and Oliver, uh, one of our uh, latest ancestors, he just um, let, like was kind of half in and out of the project because he had some other ideas that he wanted to develop. So everybody that came to Fungi Academy, like they wanted to learn to grow mushrooms, like, well, I'm, I'm learning myself, but I, I'll teach you. And I found that like teaching is the best way mm -hmm. to actually get really good at something. Mm -hmm. And 
I was teaching classes every week and within no time when Oliver's other project fell through, we were kind of just running Fungi Academy together. And I, I still can't believe it's been almost three years, but here we are. And unfortunately, Oliver is no longer with us. So I'd love to honor this conversation in, like to him because without him, Fungi Academy would never be in existence. And the courses that we've created would have never been in existence. The lives we changed with like we're probably not as changed and we owe everything to him and we do everything we still do today in honor of him and here we are and suddenly i am the face of a project i didn't start and um yeah like i found my passion and the, my purpose in life through mushrooms and through the yeah oliver and like the trust he had in me so i think that's a pretty good download on uh, who jasper degenaars is yeah, yeah. Wow. So, do we, can you can you tell us a little bit more about Oliver, just just to you know really fully commemorate him? I, I never had the the fortune of speaking with him. I kind of followed him from afar for a while there as he was setting up Fungi Academy, and we had some kind of conversations through other people, basically. Uh, but I'd love it if you'd yeah share a little bit about him and how how he kind of where he got this vision from and how it came to be. So just like myself, Oliver started growing mushrooms by buying grow kits from the Netherlands. And he would drive all the way from Estonia, which is, um, is about far away. It's like a good, uh, it's 1500 kilometers, I think, more or less. So that's about a thousand miles. Okay. Uh, he would drive that to pick up the boxes and then he would drive back. And um, yeah, like he, he got fascinated by that growth. And then on the internet, he was mm -hmm. doing that like, at home a lot and like sharing that and he was also a world traveler so he also spent a lot of time in australia and india and southeast asia and he always had this vision of like combining the the beauty of the intentional communities that he found while in his travels but focused around the sacred mushroom and um when he was actually at a rainbow gathering here in guatemala and he met the other founders and like he kind of pitched that vision to them but none of them had money they had like I think Oliver had like 600 bucks and they used it to um, like rent this empty plot of land near the lake uh, from a friend uh, for like four months. And then they had tents and then like they just built their first curriculum. And there was always like from, only from passion because they didn't have money and they, they had some, they came from the rainbow. So they just wanted to give everything away for free and serendipitously everything always worked in his favor like when they needed money there was a group of people that wanted the first workshop and they paid and then they had this idea of doing a, a like a school bus for uh like driving around central america and teaching kids and other people about mushroom cultivation from the school bus and uh, a friend that he met that like they were begging on the streets and for water and food in mexico he ended up like suddenly making a lot of money and he donated a lot of money to buy the school bus. And it was just all like this serendipitous ride. And because he would like just go, if he had like a hunch, he would just go. He wouldn't think he would just do it. Even if it would make him broke, he didn't think about, Oh no, whatever. I don't have enough to support him because he had so much trust in the universe. That's like, whatever he put his heart into would be rewarded in the long run. And that's, I think is, the best way to represent Oliver because he would like try to like do so many things above what he was qualified to do or capable of doing, but he would learn. And that's like, we were both like really kids uh, of the age of the internet and anything that we wanted, we just like YouTube it, Google it, find some forums and like learn 
all the the things ourselves and through that he he was able to manifest like fungi academy to be where we are at today and i think that's uh, a pretty good roundup of who oliver was as a character he was fiery and powerful and um that's why like in a way you burned out fast you know some people just go go so hard mm-hmm. like i uh, one of our Mayan friends who's a timekeeper, so one of the spiritual leaders in the community, he said like his candle just was burning so fast that it ended up ve- uh, burning very shortly. But like the legacy continues uh, to to give the rest of us is is so worth that. And I always see like everybody is a flawed person and Oliver was definitely one of them. And in his tragic early passing, he became more what he was about than what and what he represented mm-hmm. and i think that is the beauty we can like get out of this very tragic event that almost happened a year ago now yeah so. i was gonna say it was about a year wasn't it christmas day yeah christmas morning man we call him reverse jesus said you wow well thank I- you for sharing that i mean that's such an inspirational story of somebody who really trusted the process and I'm feeling really inspired by hearing that, just trusting that, you know, we're part of something so much greater than we oftentimes realize. And so if we can trust that we're all connected and that we're following our, our inspiration, then things will work out. So that's awesome. And I really appreciate how, you know, you've come into this position and you've continued to point to Oliver. So many people, you know, could potentially, I don't know, make it about them. And I, I just, I just really appreciate how you continue to point to the origin and you know, a story, which is really important. You know, we, we do kind of culturally, it seems like everything is so short lived that we tend to forget about the past. And I know it's only been a year, but still that's, you know, the fact that you continue to speak so frequently of him in the work. Uh, I, I feel that is really important and it speaks a lot to your own integrity. So a lot of respect there. Mm-hmm. I would I would love to ask, you know, we've already talked about kind of following intuition and the synchronicities and things just kind of being all connected. And let's let's just get in real deep here. Let's just get real deep around these kind of uh, you know phenomena that we experience particularly it seems like around mushrooms and psychedelics and so i just love for you to start riffing on some of that if you would synchronicities and psychedelics you mean yeah well in life overall but you know psilocybin seems to kind of potentiate these synchronicities or um, i've been reading a lot about the synch- the the awareness of synchronicity being more of a immersion in the subconscious. And it seems that psychedelics have a way of taking us right into that subconscious world. So, you know, maybe share some of your thoughts around uh, what these kind of synchronicities and these, this interconnectedness implies maybe. Mm. It's actually something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently. And like one of the questions that I ask myself is, is it actually that the psychedelics induce more of these um, synchronicities? Or is it like what you were saying that subconsciously we're just more aware of them in these after these states? 
uh, these synchronicities, like, I think we are just kind of blind to them in our default mode network states because we're so occupied with survival and like not right now in our current day society, it looks very different than being afraid to be chased by a lion or a cheetah and like trying to have to climb trees to find fruit. But like that, that system is made for our survival because if we were always so open to receive everything, it'd be very hard to survive. And I think that kind of is what uh, psychedelics enable, right? Because they shut more parts of the brain down for us to create these patterns and these pathways in our brain that are more aware of actually what the things are that are surrounding us, like our natural world, our physical state, our consciousness and the consciousness of others. And even the consciousness of uh, like the trees that you see flying, uh, waving behind me through the wind and the consciousness of the winds. Um, we're just more open to those situations. And I think there's really good ways that even without psychedelics, you can tap into those states of mind as well. Um, but psychedelics definitely help. And we were just presented more with these choices, I see. And like, I think it has to do because we have an awareness and this, this I can get kind of woo-woo here, I hope. But like, there, I, I really believe in what people here call the higher self. And there is like, it's like a fictional idea like the perfect shapes of Pythagoras, right? In reality, there's no such thing as a perfect triangle. It only exists in this ether mindset. And in this ether like situation, there's also a thing of one ourselves that lived the perfect life. They made all of the perfect choices we could make to live our life in the most happiness and abundance and all the things. We'll never get there. We'll always make mistakes as human because that's like our imperfectionism makes us human. But sometimes in these moments, in these states, we can get these messages that like come from the gods or like are just literally like when I heard that I needed to go travel, that was literally, I heard a voice. I was on 2CB. Uh, uh, also, <laughs> I was myself, but older. And it just like, I was, I just didn't know what to do with life. And I just heard you got to go travel. And I had a choice there, right? Wow. I could hear that voice or I could like just trust and just trust. And I think those synchronicities, if we're open to them and like be, are able to put our ego aside and trust in these intuitions, then we, we, we walk the path of synchronicity and the universe, life, God, whatever you want to call it, will give us rewards for choosing the path that is the best for us. Because if we choose to make the decisions that are best for us, they will also be best for our loved ones and the planet. And and just being open to these synchronistic ideas or messages and being able to appreciate them. I think that's a really beautiful thing of the psychedelic state, but you can also get there with meditation and all these other, other really powerful practices. And that's kind of what I'm looking at as synchronicity right now, because that's, yeah, like just weird stuff happens all the time, but we have to be open to it and we have to be able to filter through what is actually information and what is just static. And unfortunately with what we call the, in, in history right now, the age of information, right? Like we are just so swamped that it's really hard for most of us to, to listen to the messages that are actually impactful instead of this new fucking COVID variety, Omicron. I don't know how this is influencing my life. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, I'm curious for you in this past year that it's been since Oliver's passed on, have you found yourself 
having to kind of put your ego aside and go with your intuition. I mean, this has been such a transition I can imagine in the last year. Yeah, it was um, definitely pure focus and intuition. Like when he passed, like the main thing I was coming through is like, we can't have the mission die with him. And that like, that was not an ego thing. It was just like, I wanted to carry on his legacy. And that was when I kind of became a workaholic and like lost connection to myself. Um, and I was too occupied with that mindset that there was also like a, a fear in there, right? Like, oh shit, if I don't work hard, it's because I have to carry what we were carrying together alone now. That that occupied me so much that like, I, I forgot to also listen to other things and look after my own mental health and physical health and that like i wouldn't say that was an ego response more so than like that initial intuition and then i got into this habit or um like pattern of just only thinking about that and that took me a while to break free from as well and yeah it's an it's an interesting thing it's like because the ego is also a powerful tool that we have and that we can utilize to change the lives of others and change the lives of ourselves and it's it's kind of double-edged sword in many ways because i don't believe that like we should completely get rid of the ego we should embrace the good parts of the ego and the things that like make us do the things that we absolutely love to do but the moment where we're doing something out of ego or for our own success or for our own like um yeah i think success it might be the best word like i see this a lot in the I don't like the, the word capitalism so much because it like insinuates that you're like, oh, you're capitalizing off of other people. Well, that's, that's such an ego thing, right? Like free market sounds a lot nicer in, in many ways. But like, that's what you're seeing a lot in this alter capitalistic mindset. It's like, oh, it's me against the world. I need to, like everybody else is just a, uh, like blocking the road for my own success. And, and living in community, you see that when there's harmony in community and we're all able to, like work together and not have that individual ego, but like what we sometimes call the oversoul of the mission, right? Because like, if we look at who we are, we're not individualistic creatures. We are pack creatures. So we are made to work and live together. And there's, there's, if you look at hunter-gatherer societies, there's not much room for thinking about the self because the, the thought for the well-being of the pack or the group is more important than the well-being of the self. And that's something like I, I'm personally struggling with because I my mind goes really fast. I think uh, my ego is also pretty strong. If anybody's into strategy, I'm Leo rising. So I come with like, oh, always <laughs> like that's what I'm born with. Right. And I see that as like my learning path. That's why I need to be in community because I need to get checked on like, OK, there's there's more to it than than that. I also like and Dutch and I'm like more direct than Americans are, but then also have a background as a sales manager where you have to have this strong ego to be able to hurt the, the group. And my main thing that I want to say with that is that like the moment that we can kind of separate from the ego and look more and like, how can we work more for the collective is when we can find balance in utilizing the ego for the collective, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was wonderful. The episode that's going to come out right before this one, is one that Courtney and I talked entirely about the ego and, you know, the nature of ego death, if it's even a thing, what a healthy ego versus an unhealthy ego looks like. And so much of what you're saying is just kind of 
supporting the conversation that we had. I mean, it, it, this is who we are. We we operate through these filters, and we we should we should embrace them to a large extent. But it doesn't mean that we have to just like continue to overfeed and overindulge the ego. And I really love what you said about kind of success for the self versus versus success for the whole or even the other, you know, um, even in business, you know, this is a concept that in American capitalism, we grow up where it's like, you know, doggy dog, the strongest survive. I mean, it's not just Americans around the world, but I think America is kind of, uh, you know, a hyper example of it all. Um, and I find myself having to really be reminded that, no, it's it's actually cooperation and co- collaboration is how we really survive. Mm. And that's the beautiful archetype of the mycelium and the fungi, right? That we can interpret into our own life. It's it's creating abundance for our, our environment. And if our envi- environment is thriving, if there's lots of plants and lots of trees that are dying, the, the fungi will be thriving. So mm. if we can create an environment around us of people that are happy and healthy. We don't have to be afraid of people breaking into our homes because they don't have enough. Um, we don't have to be afraid of like going out on the street and somebody robbing us because that's an act of desperation. I don't think anybody that's in a healthy, stable way. And like we, we use the, the framework of the, the Muslim pyramid of needs all the time is like if housing, shelter, food, all of these things are covered, like connection, you're going to see less and less of that. And I think the sickness of the United States is like mainly that you're not taking care of your weakest. And that creates this sense of like, yeah, desperation. Like I, I have been to some of the poorest countries in the world, Guatemala being one of the poorest countries in the world, Cambodia being one of the poorest countries in the world. I've never seen as much poverty than as in the West coast of the United States. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I was more afraid of my life. I was scared going through the, the, the homeless camps, but I, I did it because I, I felt like I needed to experience that to to really understand what's going on. And wow. I, that's just the showcase of like, we're not taking care of our weakest. That's a really big showcase of like the society we're living in. And that's what we are trying to be better at. And like, we're not perfect, right? Like nobody's perfect. We're just trying our best. And like, that's also what I see a lot in culture of the United States that people just See, oh, like, oh, we're occupying Guatemalan lands and you get off the land. And like, well, there's more nuance to all of this, right? Like I, for one, didn't intentionally like, oh, I'm going to take the land. I'm also, we're buying land from a German guy. So there was already, he, if anybody was like a land, there was a German guy. But also if you ask a lot, my local friends, they're like, otherwise we grow coffee and avocados there. We have enough coffee and avocados. We're happy that you guys are bringing something different and giving us like, we were training people how to grow oyster mushrooms here it's also a slow process, you know, it's like such a white, like colonialist mindset to come and like, we know what's best. We're going to give you what's best for you. Just listen to us. We're going to solve all your problems. And it's funny how in some communities in the United States that are like led by indigenous people, that mindset can still very much live like, oh, we know what's best for the people in Guatemala. It's like, well, come here first, talk to the people, see like where the trauma is residing and how we can slowly help. And one day I hope we can serve the sacred mushroom medicine to local people, but the church still has too much of an influence here. Because really? I don't want to... Yeah, there's a, there's a church. It's, there's a, an evangelist church, so they drink and they party. and uh, That's 
the worst for the 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 Mayan population here. It's like way worse than all of the gringos or extra heroes that are coming here and uh, trying to find a a better life. And that's also sometimes overseen. You know, kind of lost my the, the initial point here, but like whatever. That's okay. It's great. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. I would have mm-hmm. never thought that in in uh, Guatemala that there would have been a stigma around sacred mushrooms just because of the Mayan history, because of the, that is fascinating. And I mean, can you, so, are, are there any locals that consume or participate? A lot of people don't know is that uh, from the 1970s till 1996, there was a civil war here between the uh, Japanese, the, the, the Guatemalans of Spanish descent that run the government and the Mayan population. And they, um, there's a really good book that talks a little bit about that time before. It's called Secrets of the Talking Jaguar by Martin Patel. And um, anyhow, like the United States funded these death squads that then came to Guatemala and Mayan villages and tried to eradicate that culture. And that happened for like more than 20 years. And it happened less, about 25 years ago now. It's, it stopped. So anybody over the age of 30 here has that aspect of it. And like, the Mayan, like the culture still here still lives, you know, they still still speak the languages, they, the women still wear the clothes, the men not so much anymore. And, but yeah, there, there was a definite victor, which is the Guatemalan government, and they, uh, they put their ideas of what is best for the Mayan people on it. So there are some people that are breaking free from that like stranglehold of the Catholic Church and uh, there's definitely some people that are embracing Mayan traditions more and more, especially on the other side of the lake in uh, the communities of Santiago and San, Pe- uh, San Pedro, the, which are a bit more ancient. This is all refugee countries. Like, like people didn't initially live here until very recently, until the civil, civil War, where they just wanted to get out of the populated areas. And yeah, there's so much history that people don't know. And I'm still like learning a lot myself. And uh, my, Guatemala doesn't have a specific law against mushrooms nobody's ever been prosecuted but there's a very um, umbrella law that anything that gives you a psychoactive state can be penalized so that's kind of how they control but there's you know there's still a culture of lynching here which is very weird and really? like uh if you go against yeah that it it, it has happened several times we've here with people that like um like it's mainly between families there's main families here that have their community and they um they have disagreements and sometimes when a physical incident occurs then the other family takes takes hold and that's because they don't trust the government here so they're not going to go to the police for this you know they they figure it out themselves and that's that's all the little parts you know there's so much that we have to take into account and like there's not never an easy solution because every micro, like even this little town is so different than the other town that's maybe two miles away. There's a different culture. There's a different hierarchy. There's a different ideas of tradition. And like this change, because we, if we want it or not, we live in a global society right now. Like you see it everywhere in the world, right? Like we're not going to be able to keep what is a true American because like, I think the United States is also the only country that actually prints like official government papers in two languages so uh like everybody is becoming multicultural and even here and we can resist that or we can like slowly learn how to live together which i think is the more harmonious way and that's that that's that point and you know it's it has a very tragic history here 
And I think mushrooms and especially their traditional use and culture could help a lot, but I, I'm not the person that's going to push that right now. I think right. like it, it will take a generation. It will take uh, some leaders that hopefully we can help empower. That's that, but like, I'm not going to be the white person telling people like, do this, eat these <laughs> mushrooms. You, not what I want to be. So are you all perceived as uh, kind of a fringe group or is there any stigma against you that you know of or how, how well known is it your work with sacred mushrooms in the, the indigenous community there? So people know that we grow mushrooms, but like we're, we don't really grow sacred mushrooms. Like I grow a little bit in my own, like very hidden for personal use, but that's not what we want to be about. But right. like, I'm known to like grow oyster mushrooms and reishi and turkey dill and educate people about it. It's a small town, you know, people know about us and like, like we have pretty good connection. There's also a local mushroom cultivator here that we are working a lot together with and are empowering more and more to also step up as a teacher. She grows oyster mushrooms for a living. It's, um, it's a slow process. And we're also not the only extranjeros or gringos here. There's a whole community here. And that's, that's like also doing good stuff. We work together with this um, nonprofit organization that's run by our friends at Atilan Organic called Wellkind. They are putting a lot into education. There's a community center here, which is being supported by a lot of the extranjero community. Then there's a, we live right next door to an ecstatic dance temple and he gives 50% of his profits to community and gives free access. And like, it's taking a time, but now like my, the, one of the, the guys that's taking care of our lands, he just showed up there on Sunday and he was just dancing and like love, like he's been listening to electronic music. It's just really fun to see that change happen slow. And yeah, we we're trying our best, but like, it's hard. You don't want to force anything. Right. And that's the main thing. And we just try to have good relationships and give what we can. And I think that's, that's the way forwards and always show respect by like, we are really appreciated of being able to call this our home and feeling safe and welcomed in, in many ways and being able to empower like our local friends and to extent learn from them. And like, I, I personally love the local language. It's really beautiful. It's, it's also has a lot of the and the, like uh, the Dutch and Hebrew have so I feel very much at home sometimes here. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a journey. That's, that's all I can say. You know, I'm like young, I'm 28. I, I see myself coming back here the rest of my life. And I, I hope to leave this, this piece of land a lot better than how I encountered it. And that's, that's all we can do in the world. Right. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned uh, how important it is for you, especially being a Leo rising <laughs> to, to live, <laughs> to live in community. So how, what does that mean to you? Like, what is your community, living in community? What does that mean for you? It's like, it's living in our natural state of being, right? We're not made to, and especially COVID times has forced a lot of us to be alone in our rooms and just be with ourselves. And that's not natural. That's just not who we're meant to be. We're meant to live in groups and work together. And that's, is a psychedelic experience on its own because we're all going to reflect our own bullshits back at each other. And like, we're all gonna like uh, project our traumas that we have with our family or our loved ones from the past onto each other. And those are moments that we all can use to grow and growing pains are never easy, but 
I've, I really believe it's it's better to actually go through this and like learn about ourselves and learn how we can interrelate to other people. And it's I, we call it the house of mirrors. It's like you're constantly being refl- uh, uh, reminded of the imperfect parts about yourself. And uh, if you don't decide to listen and like act on those imperfect imperfections, then community is not for you in that moment. And that's also completely cool. But for the people that want to do the work, there's no better work than community. And yeah, like that to me is powerful. And especially a mushroom-based community, we just all have people that love mushrooms. We have a girl that's teaching like, micro construction with micro materials we have uh right now we have uh we're this course is starting on sunday and we've like uh got in this super epic mushroom color fader paul from fungaya um he's based in walla walla um but like it's it just so fun because like we're all passionate about mushrooms and to be able to attract other people that are passionate about mushrooms and we can like light each other's flames of passion and knowledge and growth it's this like there's no better way to, to learn anything than in, to learn anything in community. And um, because we have accountability, we have, we're reminded of the things that inspire us. And I think that's, that is the true gift of community. And it's not always easy. Like we're all still learning. We're also still learning because now we have something, you have this online business, but then we also have this physical community and like both are need very different trades and take a lot of time by themselves. So we're trying to find that balance and I'm learning a lot. That's I'm falling on my face a lot, yeah. and I'm learning a lot. That's that's life, right? That sounds amazing. It sounds like what we're aiming to build at Sanctuary, the Sacred Mushroom Church that we just started. So the physical community there, what does that look like? How many people are there there that are living in and is it all in one house or could you no. talk more about that? Uh, like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're all right here. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the camera. <laughs> because right now we're going into a high season when the, the rains stop. So a lot more people come to the lake, the, the spiritual tourists or whatever, uh, because it's all getting cold in the northern hemisphere. So people are trying to escape that cold. So we also host our courses during the high season. And that uh, gives a lot of other dynamic because... We suddenly had like during the low season, especially during COVID times, it's it's hard to really define what like the community is. We grow oyster mushrooms, we go reishi, and uh, we do w- weekly workshops. But um, we have about six thousand square meters of land just below me here, and um, yeah, we have um, basically a lot. We focus for long term residents really on private accommodation because it's if you're always like it's really important to have your private space and like we're, we're like just be able to come back to yourself a little bit in community because that gives you a lot more flexibility to to actually learn and not be overwhelmed by the lessons of community <laughs> and um yeah we have about like there's actually a lot of people that came in today and yesterday so i'd say like 13 14 people okay. are living with us right now wow and um, Part of community life is like is just like keeping the mushroom farm go growing. We're giving ten pounds of spawn to uh, oyster mushroom spawn every week to this local mushroom cultivator, and then we're also growing our own oyster mushrooms. And we're mm-hmm. doing experiments with deshi, and we're um, which we're even growing shiitake here, which is actually crushing it right now, and that normally didn't happen before. So we figured something out. Uh, that's, that's a lot of it, but not everybody. 
Yeah, not everybody has a mushroom cultivator, but a lot of people are just excited about mushrooms. And what are you growing? Uh, we have a lot of huh? What are you What are you growing shiitake on? We have uh, shiitake logs, and we have uh, like we just sterilize wood chips with cacao shells. Actually, so a lot of people use weed bran uh-huh. in the United States. That's we can't. We don't have a post address here, so we can't order stuff online. So that's one of the big challenges that we already right. faced. Right. What kind of logs do you use? I'm so curious. What tropical? Because we're not, we're 69, we're like a mile high above sea level here. So we don't really have tropical conditions. It gets actually quite uh, chilly. Okay. We have mango. Mango works really well. We get, sometimes get shipments from the coast. Um, but avocado, we actually, Paul brought some um, oyster and reishi cultures that he forged in uh, Washington state that he forged from conifers. So now we have actually a lot of pine here and okay. pine is really accessible. And that's what we're going to try to experiment more with. Um, but right now, we just sterilize wood chips. We soak and sterilize wood chips with cacao shells. That's right. like our version of the master mix that a lot of people are using for uh, wood loving. Uh, yeah. Mushrooms. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. So, wow. so cool. That's one of the great things about mushrooms is that there are so many types of community or there, there are so many varied interests that can centralize around mushrooms, right? Like you said, you've got someone that's into myco uh, building supplies, you've got the cultivation, you've got the culinary, you've got medicinal, you've got uh, remediation, you got so many, you got the psychology, the spirituality, there are so many parts of the human experience that the mushroom encompasses, that it's like it really creates or can create a very dynamic community. Yeah. And you see people from all like facets of life like, because we're quite quite close to the United States. We, we tend to draw a lot of people from the United States, but we also people from Venezuela, Brazilians. Um, we have local mine team like working with us, and but we've never had like actually people staying over. Um, we have had Guatemalans as well, and and just like fascinated to see people from all over the world being interested by all of these different aspects and like ethnomycology is one of like our my i'm a big fan of history so like history of with mushrooms just makes total sense right so i i i'm i'm really into that and we like an actual ethnomycologist that works with fungi foundation come and like share not she was really passionate about puffballs, so we all learned a lot more about puffballs and their use in native uh, american cultures and, and this way we all learn from each other right and although yeah, everybody comes from different walks of life and everybody comes with their own stuff and you're all you're never going to be friends with everybody. And that's right. That's, yeah. that's like, uh, because, you know, we're, we're all like have that same passion and not to be able. Yeah, it's we're all still human. And I really I really believe that we, we learn from the mo- more co- like challenging connections more because we have this common goal. Right. That's why religion started in the first place, because like you can work together with people that you don't have common background with right yeah but you both like if you look at for example the the uh the creations that publicly near turkey that like were built before we thought that there was actually any form of civilization that was just pure praise to their form of divination and that could only work together by having massive tribes and have the same it was mainly focused around um cattle i think so we can also talk about like how that like cattle based like big temple complex where nobody was living was probably because cattle grows out of the dung of cattle, you know, mm-hmm. so lost big especially in that area of the world. So 
um, the, the main thing is like, if we have this common idea that we all like, we're what some people call the fighting the same fights, it's really easy to work together with people, even though we might interpersonally not like align without understanding that common, common goal or common passion. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really beautiful to see. Yeah, for sure. Mm. For sure. So you and I finally got to meet in Jamaica. That was, I'd been watching you for a while as well. And I always thought you seemed like a really cool guy. And I was really excited to get to meet you there. Uh, I would have loved to have been able to experience some of your travels around the island with you. Um, I would love to hear some about that. Like, what was your experience like as you traveled around the island and met different mushroom people? I mean, it's so cool to see what's happening with Jamaica around psilocybin and mushrooms in general. Uh, and as mm-hmm. another, you know, mycophile who's deeply immersed in it, you know, that, that was kind of my stomping ground. So, yeah, tell me about what your experience was like there. Yeah, it was also great meeting you, dude. It was, um, for anybody who doesn't know, I think uh, Eric and I were part of the most interesting panel of a very <laughs> yeah. discussion with some senators, I think, or like. Yeah, yeah I think we upset some some senators there for a little bit, maybe. <laughs> I just talk shit and like you, you, the senators think about like actually making it possible. But like I, I talked to her after actually, and she uh, ended up being a really uh, uh nice person and actually yeah something from camera because she's like okay okay please send it to me yeah uh, before not, i've not worked on it yet but like jamaica was interesting i definitely met a lot of people that were there because they see the emerging psilocybin industry and they want to capitalize they want to be the big market leaders and yeah, yeah uh that was weird you no know? i was just He's like, I see so much trauma here, especially in Montego Bay. Uh, it was just sad to see so many people in the street. And it's like just seeing how much open for one, the Jamaican people seem to be for working with psychedelics because they're so open to weed. And I think there's just this interesting like connection between cannabis and like mushrooms where people see that, oh, they're both natural. They're both very abundant all over the world. So they must be right. safer. And um, yeah, so I think that was very interesting that, almost nobody was talking about like, how can we help more people in Jamaica more? Like how can we make as many mushrooms that we then can export to the United States and Canada to make a fuck ton of money? Yeah. So that was definitely, so I also saw, you know, I was also like, again, I'm a white man and I try to reach out to a lot of people and like, I, I got like mixing, not everybody wanted to hang out all the time. I tried to visit some farms and I only visited your farm of uh, the, Therapeutics, yeah, yeah. With, you know, yeah I, mean, I, mean, I, know, I know you went to our farm, but I didn't know that was the only one you were able to get to. I, I went to like a really, really small uh, haven, the Haven crew. They actually had a really solid, nice uh, like crew of uh, uh, Jamaican surfers that they were training how to grow a grow. Okay. Yeah, I, I really like the Haven guys, man. I've, I've been getting on good with uh, um, uh, Ivan, particularly, but several of them, yeah. And uh, uh, Alex, the chemist, yeah, good guy. They have uh, really golden hearts and, uh, you know, they, they right now are in a publicly traded company that comes with some of the things that, for the reasons that I never want to have a publicly traded company, basically. Mm. But, um, but the, the crew and the, the heart was there and, like, they were training some really cool people how to grow mushrooms. And that was cool to see. Uh, I was actually staying at there. I wouldn't call it the farm I, because there's something against people wanting to grow manure in Jamaica, which I thought was funny because there's yeah. so much manure. wants to grow manure for a reason. I'm like, guys. I, I was very, like, not so impressed with most of the, the, the farms. You guys were just starting off, right? And you had Kevin, and like, he's, it's going to be 
Like I already saw some new pictures that uh, I think I either saw on his Instagram and it looked so much more refined at that stage already. But I, I thought it was funny to hear all these people talk about like, um, yeah, uh, like IP and like, oh yeah, we're not going to show oh, you our yeah. secret. That coconut core and like lemongrass. Like, Guys, yeah. <laughs> I know. Like you have some secrets that nobody else. <laughs> so I thought it was um, I tried to meet with some of the, the communities, but you know everybody seems to be a little protective of their um, IP and and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I I was able to meet like travel around. I spent a lot of time actually in in Kingston more than I uh, anticipated, and because I, I had this idea of to make this tiny documentary series, so I was interviewing a lot of musicians and other people that are like part of the like the movement in a way and trying to make normalize this in Jamaica and all over the world. And I thought it was really interesting to hear lots of perspectives from like people like more on the ground or people that are more interested or um, people that are just like musicians and can say whatever they want to say. And I, th- I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a lot of potential. And I think like, I, I still believe so. And I would love to continue to, to visit because I really believe that Jamaica has the potential to become this beautiful like tropical psychedelic paradise, uh, but there's a lot of kings in the roads that we have to overcome. And um, yeah, first off, it's like make it more accessible, make it more affordable. Like I thought it was really sad that like, and it, there's like, because right now it's an emerging market more so than an industry, but like, like I, like I know that growing psilocybin is really cheap. So having a lot of high prices, you're like right now that's you're moving on the first movers, but like making it more accessible is just making it cheaper. And most Jamaicans were just not afford, uh, able to afford it. And like, uh, just seeing like more people focus on training more Jamaicans. That's why I kind of want to do a course there or like make something so we can like, help the population. Because that's, that's basically what I felt when I got there. It's like, this is beautiful. This has a lot of potential, but I, I want to help. And that's, that's where I want to go. But also I'm like, I have a tendency to overfill my cup and have five cups in my hand and try to do many things. But <laughs> if anybody is in Jamaica and wants to like help facilitate like, uh, like a public system, I, if anybody's in Jamaica and wants our online mushroom cultivation course for free and you're like born and raised, then contact us because like, we just want to help. Oh, that's beautiful. That's that. beautiful. Well, there's there's several connections that I, I think that I would like to facilitate um, that we can help with that. I don't know if you know the uh, the Diaspora Psychedelic Society, Omar down there. He's doing a lot of kind of uh, stuff for the populace and even through sacred. You know, we're working to through through with Omar to some extent, but also on our own. We're working to have uh, a more accessible offerings for the islanders themselves um you know in terms of not just access to psilocybin but access to a a treatment to actually being cared for like you said there's so much trauma there and to just unleash psilocybin you know i I think that there's it's it's extremely safe and there's not a lot to be concerned about there, but there is a lot of really deep trauma there that people will need some, I think some serious support. There are a lot of people anyway, that will need some, some real support through and after their experiences. So that's really the, the, the cost bottleneck is trying to be able to pay for people to spend eight hours with somebody and then 
show up as a support for them. So developing kind of community-centered group programs where people can have lower cost access and it's it's all happening, man. And I'm I'm really excited about your approach. And there are a lot of while there are a lot of people who are very uh, you know looking at the industry and wanting to see how much money they can make out of it, how much they can squeeze out of Jamaica uh, before you know it's just too accessible. But at the same time, there's a ton of people that are really trying to do good on the ground for the people there. And I, I'd love to connect you there. I think there's some real opportunities with our farm sacred therapeutics for you to, you know, train people, help in a lot of ways. So yeah, I'd love to have more conversations with that. Can can you talk a little bit about this intersect of therapy and recreation? That was kind of the big sticky point. You know, Senator Longmire, great lady. I'm not, I'm I'm, kind of joking that we pissed her off. You know, I think there is a an understandable um, kind of public face that has to be put on from someone who's in her position. And when you get away from the cameras and the microphones and you talk about it a little more reasonably, then, you know, you get a different, you get a different feedback, you get a different conversation. Uh, but the trigger that seemed to spark a lot of the heated dialogue on, our, on that panel we were a part of was this idea that mushrooms just can't be a free-for-all. You can't just have recreational mushrooms. It's got to be a therapy. It's got to be really contained and properly administered and monitored. What do you think about all that? So that I think the Netherlands, again, is a really good example of this, right? Because um, on paper, and then this is like a very low estimate, before uh, in 2008 when mushrooms became illegal and truffles were being sold, we, the Netherlands was selling more than 500,000 portions of mushrooms every year. And most, like, most people were tourists, like 80, 85% in a city, right? So that's ultimately shitty set and setting. Yeah. And let's say that <laughs> only 50% more. So we're talking about 750,000 doses of psilocybin containing mushrooms. Wow. In two year time, between 2005, 2006, there was, so that we're talking about a hundred and one and a half million doses sold. There were like 23%, uh, 23 cases of people ending up in hospital. I think there was only like one death. Uh, most of them were actually not Dutch. Like, I think there was only one or two people that were Dutch. Like, don't quote me on the numbers. Like it's been a while that I actually uh, went over this, but like, I know I'm close. I know it's not more than 30 people ended up in hospital in two years for one and a half million doses sold. Wow. That's really crazy, wow. you know, in a city. So we have those numbers. So we can say it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. It needs to be in this controlled environment and we're going to get more healing out of that. We're going to have more experience, better like healed or thriving human beings out of that. But like, it just showcases that it's so safe. Even the World Health Organization showed that like, um, mushrooms are the lowest, even under cannabis for hospital cases all over the world. Right. And trust me, a lot of the world are consuming mushrooms recreationally, at parties, at horrible set and settings. I know people that take them at family gatherings and giving and silly, silly human beings. But like we end up often being completely fine in the end. The main thing is education, right? Because I really believe that recreational, like my uh, brother and mentor and like one of our teachers, Julian Vane says this pretty beautifully, recreate oneself, right? Yes. It's like, 
have fun and you're recreating yourself to to focus on the things that are potentially not fun and i really see the healing power of it of that in it but again we need to talk and teach about proper set and setting and if up to have these community centers with not even like really full-on trained professionals if there's just there's a lot of uh really beautiful mother-like women in jamaica for example that are be so easy to train to be psychedelic at least counselors you don't have to be a therapist but like people just need somebody to talk to give them a list of 20 questions they can ask and let the answers come out of it naturally because the people are the medicine more than the psychedelic and the psych the, the citizen why we need to grow and what we need to deal with in ourselves and we need guidance with we need community with this community is the key to everything knowledge and community it's not that hard i think also we should like why are we living in a world of fear right like we're, we're talking about like climate change and all the things happening we're living on top of the world right now we're living in the best time possible and people are just hiding away in their houses being afraid but we're like right now we have technology the world is like still super livable soils are still good we know it's all going to change probably in the next 50 years so let's just enjoy it now instead of living in fear of death which is inevitable so uh, that's that's what I got into it because that's ultimately every fear comes to fear of death, right? Because people are just afraid that like during our uh, little um, interaction with uh, Senator Longmore and like her friend, this idea came up with this girl that was bought magic mushrooms and jumped off a building or bridge in Amsterdam. Part of this was true. This girl was also talking about suicide for months before this. This girl was also uh, on alcohol, lots of alcohol, cocaine, MDMA, lots right. of other stuff. And she was 17 years old. So there was no like education. She got it probably from a friend who was 18 because they do check your ID in these, especially if you're French, in these stores in the Netherlands. And like one, one case, you know, one case of somebody that shouldn't have been able to buy it, shouldn't have gotten it. If they went themselves, they would have gotten a no. Also our health organization, um, they mentioned like, we like their advice was not to illegalize this just more education they even talked about like what is called a resting period so you go and you pay your money and then you have to come back two days later so you have time to integrate oh. this and that i think why growing magic mushrooms is actually the best option because you, ha you have to wait dude it's gonna be two weeks if you broke it if you're gonna start from sport it's gonna be like six seven weeks to actually get your fruit you're gonna have a lot of you're not going to be like an impulse, like oh, I'm going to eat straight off the cake right now while I'm driving my car. That's just not like... <laughs> 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 it sense to me, but hey, what do I know? I'm just like some weird 28 hippie living in Guatemala. I don't have the answers. <laughs> oh, man, I think that's beautiful. I got chills throughout that whole, that whole spill there, yeah, buddy. wonderful. I What the fuck... 20 something hospitalizations out of a million and a half doses. I actually took mushrooms in Amsterdam before they were illegal. And it is a horrible setting to take mushrooms in, but you know, you do okay. You get through it, you know, <laughs> man. That's so what, what, what's your, you mentioned that you have a little like personal uh, grow under your bed. What's your personal practice like? with sacred mushrooms <laughs> it's it used to be under my bed when i was living with my parents and they i didn't tell them yet but I, but, oh <laughs> yeah. hopefully they're not listening <laughs> uh, 
But um, I have a place on my, my altar and I, I say hi to them every day. I put intention in, like some, I grow for an intention of microdosing. Some I grow for intention of like sharing and having fun at parties because I really believe dose is so important. It's so under, over, over, like under or overlooked because my preferred substance at a dance party is half a gram, gram of mushrooms. That's it. I'm caffeine tea. I, I'll dance all night. Mm. And maybe I'm not like super against alcohol, like a little bit of like one beer or something. And I'm like on top of the world, right? And like, that's what we have to do with education. So I, I like to grow my mushrooms for different intentions. And yeah, like there's a lot of, when I, because we grow in monotubs, which is basically a shoe size box where you like add your substrate, which is often coconut core and manure and vermiculite. And we add gypsum and calcium hydroxides and some other supplements that like most people don't understand, but that's all you need. Like coconut core, you can buy in garden stores, vermiculite, you can buy in garden stores, gypsum, uh, calcium sulfate. You can buy everywhere. Calcium hydroxide, you can buy everywhere. That's all you need. You don't even need the calcium hydroxide and so, uh, gypsum, actually. You just like, only need coconut corn or make light. You're going to have success. Yeah. And like, well, the mycelium we grow, um, the, what, what's the process? Like, one, one of my friends and also a really powerful teacher, Darren LeBaron, he was also at the conference, by the way. Yeah, and yeah, he, uh, yeah. he says the ceremony starts when you inoculate your first like agar plate and he says the ceremony starts when you buy the food for the mushrooms which i thought was even more uh there's so much intention because you're not just like you know what you're growing your mushrooms for if you're growing them for money they're not gonna taste good they're not gonna give you good experiences they are very finicky like this at least in my experience maybe i'm just too sensitive but i i i've never had better experiences from mushrooms that i've grown from start to finish myself and they have a very special place in my house i like to to show them off and uh everybody loves to see them when they're 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 fruiting and they're yeah it just makes everybody happy mm. every time i see them they're like they look happy and yeah i like to sun dry them myself personally but we also have a dehydrator um and then they just have a spot also on my altar like if i have too much okay then they i have to store them in a different place but they're they're not something i utilize right they're allies they're something i work together with and um that's that's my process and like seeing them go through all of that by themselves and with with support and then they're spreading the spores and then we spread their spores and they have opportunities to grow elsewhere that's that's to me is an alliance more than like hey we're going this for money or for anything else that i want i want to get out of this what can i get out of this that's a lot of mentality that we have cultivated in our western societies instead of like hey how can we work together and how can we create symbiotic relationships yeah so i really love that you bring up the the whole process and it starts like before we're just putting the mushrooms in our mouth something a lot of people just don't think about yet yeah so i'm interested in your thoughts on the commercialization of psilocybin what what does a healthy positive commercial market for psilocybin look like that that considers this energy and uh, cooperative aspect. Oof. Oof. Tough one for me, dude. So um, I think if anybody grows mass amounts of mushrooms, they're going to be so abundant that like either give them away for free to people that don't need them or can afford them basically, but definitely need them. But also like what what's the reciprocity, right? Where, where are we giving back to 
the the indigenous cultures that were carrying that knowledge uh, if in the first place like the Mazatec people are really struggling right now and I I, I don't I don't really not think that like I really what, how I see the world is we're all going to be uh, having friends that grow their own mushrooms and that's where we get our mushrooms mm. and we do that in or I don't know if you grow amazing cannabis that's what you exchange it for if you give amazing massages that's what you exchange it for and that's that's to me feels like really in, in tune with like what the messages that i've got from the mushrooms but you know this market that is going to occur that's inevitable so what i'm seeing is like there's going to be these consumer products and they're going to get people into these mushrooms that's and they're going to be powerful and they're going to have healing experiences and i just hope that the people behind those uh, organizations will do it in the sake of like sharing the medicine instead of making a lot of money. But again, people are really good at making a lot of money and they're really good at spreading like and optimizing and doing all the things. And I, I don't want to see it, but I don't, I, 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 it's going to happen. If it's going to get legalized, it's, it's already happening so far. The people that I know that grow a lot do it with the right intention. Um, but also, like any time I grow with the oh, this is a really good one. We have um, we've had some people pass by that grow um, that or have used to grow a lot of mushrooms, and any time they they thought like oh, I'm gonna make some money out of this, they got contamination. I thought that was yeah. such a funny example of like that's how that works. And I don't think that we should buy the sell them in stores. Like you can just walk in and walk out with mushrooms. I don't think that's the best thing, especially not in cities. Um, I mean, like, I think Timothy Leary was the first person to, to uh, like, say this, like, a form of drug passports, passports I've th thought about before. Like, you need, a, like, a fucking uh, driver's license to drive a car, right? Like, kind of similar in many ways. And I think we should include alcohol in that, too. And we should include nicotine in that, too. And all of the other substances that we right now take for granted because they're just normalized by our society. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, that's more giving more control to states, which I'm not, like, fan off so i like in an ideal world people just growing their own because it's really easy and like or selling grow kits i think we should legalize that everywhere because then you have the time then you see the process then you're not making a uh and a decision out of the blue and you have your time to like work together and like put your intention in your own medicine that's how i would like to see it in the future but i you know i got consumer people bring me consumer mushroom chocolate products all the time and they look great I would, if i if i didn't know any better I, I would buy them they look great so as long as you find if you know where it's like any buying anything as long as you know where your product is coming from if you are aligned with their vision just be a conscious consumer we're all going to be consumers we're living in the age of consumerism right. just like don't get your mushrooms from somebody that's obviously in it from the, uh, for the money that's it like there's going to be the small mom and pop magic mushroom like businesses with really beautiful design just buy it there that's 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 how i'm going to see it. like it's going to pan up anyway not in my ideal world but that's that's what it's going to be yeah it's uh there's a whole lot to consider i think the intention behind it is the single most important consideration um you know i've i've certainly struggled with selling psilocybin commercially uh, particularly black market when when we were doing large scale black market grows uh, because you don't have any you don't have the ability to really educate your consumer you don't have the ability to have that connection and for people to see oh this is the person that's creating 
this powerful substance that I'm consuming, uh, which is really, really important, particularly with mushrooms. They are, they are little sponges of energy and nutrients. And, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, when we started this farm in Jamaica, I was the, the brand is that was kind of my, my baby because I want people to know from go that this is a sacred thing. Even if you're buying it for a dance party or if you're buying it in a chocolate bar or whatever, like the, you're actually consuming something sacred. This is not just shrooms, you know? So really trying to infuse that intention from go. But then like you get into the thing, like everything has to make money and people got to get paid and you got to pay bills and electricity and there's, all these things that go into it. So, you know, you want to create something that is accessible to as many people as possible, but you also recognize that, you know, there's all these inputs and there is this demand and there are people who have excess resources that can pay more. So to be able to try to subsidize so that people who don't have the resources can still have the access, it's a lot to try to juggle, but it's, I think it's really crucial that we do if we're going to bring this sacred medicine to the masses we've got to do it or you know we should do our best to do it consciously i think uh that's a, a really good point and i actually had a recently a really good conversation about this like yeah let's tax the rich let's make it expensive for the rich and then let's make it cheap for the people that can't afford it because there's a lot of people in the world that can afford a lot of things like yeah. you can you can either pay 50 bucks for to ride a car from here to the airports uh which takes five hours or you can get a $1,000 helicopter ride that takes 20 minutes. People will take that helicopter ride, right? So like we need to uh, have, like why I really appreciate sliding skills and we do all of our webinars, for example, sliding skill. And most of it's just like yeah. 10 bucks, an hour and a half of knowledge. But like, actually I see like most people are actually paying 30 bucks. And I'm like, that's that's the kind of market that we like need to go through. And like, uh, I think we can, especially with, the digitalization of money and, and crypto, we can get to a point that even in um, in a store, you can decide to buy something and sliding skill and like like have that like kind of taxation from come from your own ability to understand like, hey, I actually have to give this to this epic uh, thing and not just always try to go for the cheapest cheapest uh, thing around. And, you know, that's that's something new to us in our society and community as we understand it today. So it's 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 going to come with some kinks again in the roads. But uh, I, I really believe that if you're one of those organizations that's either charging $5,000 for a couple day magic mushroom retreat or you're charging a lot for your uh, magic mushroom product, like look at like what you can give back to the people that cannot afford that. And totally. that's something that we're currently working on. Like we... We want to offer a course in Spanish. I, I speak enough Spanish to get around, but my Spanish is not good enough to teach about mycology. But I'm uh, trying to enable people that are so. And like, look, like, that's just reality. People who do not speak English in general in the world have less money. So make it affordable for them and make it even free for the people that are around us. And I think that's the, the business model that we all need to... Like, if we have space and we can do it, just give more. Like, see, let, see what happens because... Is a rainbow saying is like the more you give, the more you got to give, and that's that's true in everything, I think. Mm, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful. That's why I love your work as well with like sanctuary, dude. Like, I think like that's the next step for uh 
a lot of where we're going is just having these because if you want to deny it, you're going to be an institution, but like having institutions that make this medicine and this work accessible and safe because that's the big thing right now, right? Like it's still illegal in most places in the world. And I understand a lot of people don't feel safe. And with this beautiful loophole of freedom of religion, we can <laughs> we can get that because well, like I believe I believe I mean, loophole. I don't I don't even I don't like the term loophole because it is a right. This is like we you you know the mushrooms are on the cave walls, man. This is our spirituality. This is the temples, like you said, are built around the cattle fields. You know, this is who we are. And so I very much appreciate that in the United States, that it has maintained that freedom of religion, particularly in places like Kentucky. There's a lot of irony that the more conservative states are the ones that have the, uh, you know, support this kind of freedom. Um, but it, it's, it's crucial. And like, this is who we are. So to be able to just like, yes, and, and so like, that's another thing is like access, right? I, th I thank God for all the research and all the evidence that's proving the safety and efficacy of psilocybin as a therapeutic. But like, that's not the ivory tower that it should be delegated to for the rest of, for, into perpetuity, 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 perpetuity. Forever. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> you know, and, and this, the individual right to your own spiritual growth is, I think, the container where this actually belongs. Mm. Yes, I, I do. Uh, thank you for bring, bringing it up and like sh shining some extra light on that, because I do fully agree. And I, I do also think that like it's just our rights in general, we, we're like especially America. I love when you, how you call yourself the land of the free. You like the less. <laughs> But like you can't even decide what you put in your own body. That's like what the fuck, guys. That's like that's like how can you decide that? That's like our right to freedom and like yeah, like it's our rights to have this as a religion. But I think it's also our right to just do whatever the fuck we want with our consciousness oh, and our absolutely like, like religion for that. In my opinion, but that will come. You know, it, it will come. If like, systems need to break, they will break. We we live in this illu illusion of continuity. We always think like Romans thought like, oh, the Roman Empire is going to be there forever. <laughs> yeah. He thought they were going to be forever. It's nothing lasts forever. Also not the empire of the United States. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of indicators that it's on the uh, downslope, I think we all can see. The last emperors of the Roman Empire, you look at your current presidents. Yep, that's yep, yep. <laughs> I know. If you, if you look at the history of the Roman Empire, the decadence and just all the, yeah, opulence and now America. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. A little familiar. <laughs> Repeat. <laughs> this has been right. such a great conversation with you. I'm so glad that we met and that you've been on Psilocybin Says. We always ask everybody at the end of a podcast, uh, what does psilocybin say to you? So we're going to ask you that right now. What does psilocybin <laughs> say to you? <laughs> so many things, but I guess um, the main thing that's coming to me right now is to really tune into yourself and like see what that person is and like be that best person of yourself because you're worthy, you're welcome. You have something to give to the world. Uh, you're unique. You're powerful, and um, like you're here for a reason. And that's the main thing that Cynicism keeps telling me is like, 
yeah, teaches me to love myself and all my mistakes, the path and like all of my traumas. That's all part of it, you know, and um, it's all welcome. And that's that's the main thing that we're missing. We were living in an egotistical society, but we we didn't even love ourselves. Mm. So um, that's what Sin Simon says to me. I'm welcome. Yeah. I'm love. I'm here. You're you're a great example of that, Jasper. You know, yeah. I, I think that's a valuable thing when people have a strong personality, and you talk, you know, if it's if it's ego, if it's the Leo in you, whatever it is, man. We all should love ourselves. We should all love the gift that we are to the world. Um, and you really, I, I see you exemplifying that just by being yourself, being passionate and, and spreading, spreading the joy of, of being a human being. So just really grateful to have got to met you in Jamaica. And I think that there's more for us to do together, my friend. I think so too, man. Thanks for inviting me on here. I had such a blast. It's been a while and like I've, I feel uh, I was able to talk from the hearts today, which is uh, the only thing that we all can hope to do every day in our life, you know? Awesome. Thank you for recognizing that. And thank you for your amazing work on normalizing this and like just being open about it. So many people are afraid and like, you're the best showcase of like this, you know, there's going to be kings in the, again, I said this all the time, but like there's going to be kings in the road, but like you can only share what you really, really believe with force. And I've just seen you do that only. And that's, admirable and i hope more and more people will find that courage to to speak up and like uh, let their true self shine absolutely yeah all right jasper until the next time we get to meet again my friend stay well yeah yeah and wait wait, one more thing where can people find oh, you oh yeah yeah share your info fungiacademy.com uh, fungi uh Academy on instagram now we are main yeah. instagram of 200,000 people down by the system mm-hmm. so that does not so follow us on our new uh, where else? At Jasperius. That's my personal one on Instagram. Um, just Fungi Academy. Just like the, world, the only one in the world. Fungi yeah, Academy. yeah, yeah. The yeah. Fungi Academy. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, brother. Much love. Much love. Much love. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye.